Well, I have the pleasure this morning of introducing you to our, our guest speaker this morning. Uh, he is the executive director for Sovereign Grace Churches, and, and that's, a, that's a title that nobody probably can figure out. What exactly does Mark do as executive director? And it would take me too long to describe to you what he does, but I'm going to just highlight a couple of places that Mark is doing things that serve us as a local church. We are a local church that's part of a family of churches which means we have the benefit of receiving the influence of godly gifted men outside of this location in this local church. We have a leadership team in Sovereign Grace that exists because we've identified particular men with particular gifts to lead this movement of churches. Well, Mark's responsible to corral those guys and lead those guys and help them to give us direction, uh, give vision to us. One of the groups that's within Sovereign Grace Leadership is not the leadership team in particular, but there's a theology team that serves our movement of churches that pays attention 24-7 to the theology of what we are believing from Scripture. We are benefiting from their hard work over the last few years as we study through the statement of faith this summer. Uh, those guys have put in incredible hours sending back to all the, the council of elders, all the elders in the, in the Sovereign Grace churches to participate in coming up with what I just think is the best statement of faith that I've seen any church or any organization to have. It's clear, it's meaningful, it draws you in. Uh, most statements of faith, if you've read them, you can read them pretty quick and it's like, yeah, okay, these guys aren't crazy or kooky. Uh, this one makes you want to stare at the words and and draw out the richness of those words. So Mark, I know you spent quite a bit of time interacting with that theology team as they were putting this together. So these are some of the ways that Mark has been serving us and, and you've never even met Mark, but his influence has been in your life and, and in our local church. Uh, Mark is to be around Mark is to be around an encourager. I don't think there's anybody in this church who spent more than two minutes with him over the weekend. that didn't walk away encouraged, uh, Mark has led through a variety of, of interesting and challenging settings through the years. But Mark is a man of faith, and Mark is a faithful man. Uh, he is going to do what God has called him to do. I know his wife, Jill, would say that. I know his three girls would say that. His ten grandchildren would say that they know a faithful man, not just as he leads churches, but as he lives his life toward them as well. Mark is a friend I, I've enjoyed over the last several years, getting to spend more and more time with Mark. And I appreciate just the influence he's had on me as I seek to love the Lord more and more. But he comes to us this weekend, all right? If you were able to be with us yesterday, we had a, a workshop for prayer and, and, and prophecy ministry. Uh, that he just did an outstanding job for. I've heard many people rant and rave about how helpful that meeting was. So if you weren't able to be here, you can get that online and, and have a look at that so you can grow with us in, in prayer and prophecy. Uh, he, he led us through that. He spent the entire afternoon with our eldership team just bringing wisdom and help for us as we walk together and seek to lead the church. He has poured into my wife and I as he has been here uh, this weekend. So Gina and I are extremely grateful, but he comes to us 
having spent a, a week with the regional leaders and the leadership team on a retreat a few weeks ago. And then I believe last week he had traveled down to Mexico to be a part of helping to lead our Mexican pastors and, and groups of folks that are, are looking into sovereign grace in that region of the world. And then he's come spend three days with us. Uh, he wears a lot of hats he does a lot of things that serve a lot of people in a lot of churches. So, Mark, we are so grateful for you and grateful that you would come and take this weekend to be with us. So please, Mark, Mark Prater, welcome him to our pulpit. Thank you, Gene. Yep. Oh, thank you for your, your warm welcome, uh, whether you're here or through live stream. I heard you applauding through live stream, actually. No, no, I'm joking. You can open your Bibles to, to Hebrews chapter 1. When um, Keith extended an invitation for me to, to come and be with you, I immediately said yes because I wanted to, to be here and thank you personally, to, to look you in the eye and say thank you, whether you're here at the building or watching via live stream. I want to thank you for just being a part of our denomination, being a part of Sovereign Grace family of churches. And I want you to know that that expression of appreciation isn't an empty expression. I thank God for you. We as a leadership team thank God for you because Lakeview Christian Center, you are strengthening our partnership in Sovereign Grace. Let me just give you some reasons why I, I believe that and see that. First of all, just your, your gospel presence here in the New Orleans area, a church that's committed to the gospel, uh, for Keith and the team to faithfully preach the gospel from this pulpit, you as members looking to apply the gospel to your life, together looking to build a gospel culture, that, that's a big deal. And it strengthens our family of churches, other churches who are attempting to do the same by God's grace. But not just um, preaching the gospel and apply it to your life. Your, your heart and desire to reach out to those who don't know Jesus as their savior and bring the good news to them. Your commitment to faithfully do the Alpha program, for example, is a wonderful expression of your heart and strength really as a church in the area of evangelism. And so there are other churches in Sovereign Grace that look to your example and are influenced by your example as well. And then your, your influence in Sovereign Grace, it begins to move beyond the New Orleans area. Um, your support and prayers and encouragement for Keith to lead a, a region of churches, the Southeast region, uh, churches in, in uh, obviously Louisiana and Georgia and Florida. Uh, Keith is involved in leadership in Sovereign Grace, helping to care for those churches and care for those men. And so Keith, thank you for, for all that you do. But he couldn't do that without you and your encouragement and your prayers. That, that strengthens Sovereign Grace. And then beyond the United States, this church has influence and impact. Um, what you have done in helping to plant the church in Jamaica over the last two years or so. And then before COVID hit, that the trips that you made to the Bahamas to just bring um, labor that, that expresses the care of Christ. And your, your historic involvement in establishing Rancho 3M, that orphanage outside of Juarez, and how, that, how your church has been involved. Uh, and a number of Sovereign Grace churches travel there and serve there. 
All of that is just a brief synopsis of how you as a church are strengthening our family of churches. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We thank God for you. Last week, um, I listened to a bit of Frank's message Um, who gave a section of the statement of faith. And as he introduced his message, he hypothesized that he was actually now standing at this pulpit for the first time on a Sunday because he now has a beard, if you remember that. And um, it was, by the way, it was interesting to learn that Peter Davidson was born with a beard. I I, I now get that. When I heard that, I go, "That, that makes sense. And then uh, for Ronald, that what you see, that's his full beard. That's all he's got. So, um, so I stand here this morning able to grow a beard, but I don't have a beard. So I don't know what that says about Frank. It may say something about him. That or the guest speaker gets sort of the beard, beard exception, I guess. I don't know. Exemption, whatever you want to call it. Um, okay, Hebrews chapter 1. In just a moment, we're going to read the first four verses. It's hard for me to find words that can adequately express the privilege I feel to stand here this morning and to to preach about the one I love the most, my Savior, Jesus Christ. To a church who's a part of a family of churches, I love the most. And as I grow older, that sense of privilege, it, it deepens for me as I consider and ponder again and yet again what Christ has done for me in the gospel and how you and your example of just being a gospel-centered church how that has influenced and impacted Jill and me and our kids and our grandkids who are seeking to grow in the gospel see it's it's a beautiful thing when a family of churches stays centered on Christ and helps each other to continue to grow in Christ it's unusual it's God's grace, but it's, it's a beautiful thing. And as I was praying for you as a church, just even a few days ago, I was walking around the parking lot of Covenant Fellowship Church and just praying for you as a church and praying for our time and then praying again this morning, preparing this sermon. There was, a, there was something I just believe I was hearing from the Lord and I was wrestling. Do I share this or not? And I decided that I should as I walked up these stairs As we look at this message, the doctrine of Jesus Christ, the the phrase the Lord gave me was, was this. It's more of a question. Are you happy in Christ this morning? Are, Are you finding your joy and your satisfaction in Him alone? And are you are you growing in your joy and happiness in Christ? It's a good question because this text and our statement of faith that looks at the doctrine of Jesus Christ, it's, it's intended to shape how we live. And I believe one of the works that the Spirit wants to do in our lives, in my life, and in your life as we look at this this morning is to stir fresh joy in Christ so that we leave here happy in him. The title of my message is The Doctrine of Jesus Christ, and we're going to look at two sections of our statement of faith, the person of Jesus Christ and the saving work of Jesus Christ. And if you've been reading through the statement of faith sort of chronologically, you know that 
from what Frank preached last week to what I'm preaching this week, we're skipping over a section called man's sin and its effects. And Keith is going to preach about that um, next week. In fact, we were, we were laughing before the meeting as we prayed together that I get the message with all the good news and Keith gets the bad news. He's, he's, he's going to bring the bad news to you next week, but we need to know the bad news. We need to understand our fallen condition and that there is sin that, in, that dwells within our hearts. Because if we don't understand this, that, then we don't under, understand our need for Jesus Christ. So the doctrine of Jesus Christ, let's read the first four verses of Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways... God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. May God bless the preaching of his holy word. The first thousand years of church history are filled with theologians and church leaders working out the orthodox theology that we find in our sovereign grace statement of faith today. One of those historic events was the Council of Nicaea, which was convened on May 20th, 325 A.D., And the main agenda item for that council was to debate the divinity of Jesus Christ. There was a man by the name of Arius who had been spreading this false teaching that Christ was not fully God because he was not co-eternal with God the Father and therefore was not fully divine. And as the council began to convene, convene, Alexander was assigned to be the principal spokesman who argued for the full deity of Christ, and a man by the name of Eusebius argued for the Arian view. At the beginning of the council, it seemed that most of the leaders were not very well informed on the issue. However, their neutrality rapidly evaporated when they began to hear Eusebius explain Arius's views. You see, as he proceeded to explain the Arian position that denied the full divinity of Christ, the leaders in that room, they became so angry that they grabbed Eusebius' notes out of his hands and they tore them up and they threw them on the floor. Now to you, that might seem like an extreme reaction, but one must bear in mind that there were men sitting in that room who were still bearing scars for their devotion to Christ. The 5th century historian Theodoret writes, Paul, who was there from Neo-Caesarea, had lost 
The use of both of his hands because of the application of a red-hot iron. Other leaders in that room had had their right eye gouged out, while others sitting there had lost their right arm. In short, writes Theodoret, the council looked like an assembled army of martyrs. So why would these men, some who were bearing their, the scars of their, for their devotion to Christ, why would they so fiercely contend for the full deity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is fully God? Because they knew that an orthodox Christology regarding the person and work of Jesus Christ, that is foundational to all of theology. J.I. Packer writes, Christology is the true hub round which the wheel of theology revolves and to which its separate spokes must each be correctly anchored if the wheel is not to get bent. Historic Christianity's most distinctive convictions are decisively shaped and determined by a proper understanding of the identity of Christ. So our Sovereign Grace Church's statement of faith is filled with Christianity's most distinctive convictions which are decisively shaped and determined by a proper understanding of the person, life, death, resurrection, ascension, and consummation of Jesus Christ. And because of that, we have written in the online introduction of our statement of faith this. The statement of faith also makes explicit what is foundational to our doctrinal commitments. What's foundational? Here it is. The gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the primary passion and the driving influence in our church's common life, worship, and outreach. So what is your primary passion as a church and our primary passion as a family of churches? It is this. It is Christ and him crucified. What is the driving influence in our common life together? It is living for the glory of Jesus Christ. What motivates our outreach to the lost? To bring, to bring them the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, Christology, it is foundational to your doctrinal commitments as a church. And because theology determines how we live, Christology is foundational to how we share and how we do our common life together. Now, our text here in Hebrews chapter 1 is one of many in Scripture that gives us a proper understanding of the identity and work of Jesus Christ that he's done in the gospel. So the author, he begins this letter to the Hebrews by, by telling us that God's progressive revelation has now been fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Look again at verses 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days... He has spoken to us by his son. The point is this. In these last days, these last days that you and I live in, no more revelation is needed to supplement what God has fully revealed in his son, Jesus Christ, because Jesus has fulfilled all the Old Testament prophecies that pointed to him and all the promises of God find their yes and amen in him. And what God says to us in the Old Testament 
uh, is not contradicted or replaced by the Son, Jesus Christ. Rather, he completes God's progressive revelation. See, Christology is foundational for you and I to understand this progressive, redemptive story in our Bibles. And it's also foundational because it's the primary passion and driving influence in your church and in every church in Sovereign Grace. So three reasons why Christology is foundational. Number one, Christology is foundational to knowing the person of Jesus Christ. So in the person of Jesus Christ, we see two distinct natures, one divine and one human inseparably joined together in the one person, Jesus Christ. And based on scripture, the council of Nicaea, by the way, decisively concluded that Jesus Christ is fully God. Our text is one biblical evidence that he is fully God, that he existed with the Father, co-eternal with the Father. We, we see that from uh, verses one, excuse me, verse two. But in the last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Because Jesus is the one through whom God the Father created the world, we know that Jesus existed with the Father before the world was created. He is the, he is the eternal, pre-existent Son of God. As our statement of faith says so well, He is the eternal Son. So sorry, Arius, you were wrong. And verse 3 gives, gives further proof of, of the deity of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So in the person of Jesus Christ, we see the exact imprint of the nature of God himself. And he is also the almighty God who upholds the universe by the word of his power. You see, Scripture reveals the divine nature of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, which is captured this way in our statement of faith. In the fullness of time, God the Father sent his eternal Son, the second person of the Trinity, into the world as Jesus Christ. And when God the Father sent his eternal Son into the world, Christ, through the incarnation, took on a fully human nature. The Gospel of Luke tells us that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And the Gospel of Mark tells us that he was born of the Virgin Mary. It's a stunning act of humility that God the Son would leave his glory and be born of a virgin. We celebrate every Christmas and that he would take on a fully human nature with all of its attributes and all of its frailties and all of its temptations. And yet, as Hebrews 4.15 tells us, he was a man that was without sin. John's gospel says that the word became flesh. 
revealing the divine, eternal Son of God, added a human nature, and thus now and forevermore subsists in those two natures, which are inseparably joined together in the one person, Jesus Christ. We we capture that important theological truth this way in our statement of faith. In this union, two whole perfect and distinct natures were inseparably joined together in the one person of the divine son without confusion, mixture, or change. See, that, that's an important foundational theological truth that exists, that, that tells us that Christ existed as one person, does exist as one person with two distinct natures, Human and divine inseparably joined together. It's important for many reasons. One of them being is that it keeps us from historical heresies that have been made in the past. That move from two natures to Jesus being two persons. That's Nestorianism. Or from being one person to just having one nature. That is Eutychianism. It also explains how Jesus, on the one hand, can uphold the universe by the word of his power. And on the other hand, hunger and thirst and grow weary and be tempted and even die. Are you weary? I can talk. Oh, it's back on. I can talk really loud. Are you weary this morning? Jesus knows your weariness. You got to remember, he, he fell asleep in that boat during that violent storm. He was so tired. And yet he, only he has the power to meet you in your weakness and strengthen you. Are you carrying a, a lingering sadness and grief as you join with he, he feels it. Remember Jesus, he, he wept at Lazarus' tomb. And yet only he has the power to draw near to you this morning and comfort you in your sadness and in your grief. Are you lonely? Jesus gets it on the night before his death. He was betrayed by all of his friends. They all fled from him. And yet, this morning, if you're in Jesus Christ and you've placed your faith in him as your savior, he calls you a friend. And he draws near to you in your loneliness. And he lifts it. And he lets you know that he knows and he cares for you. Those temptations that you and I, that we face Every day, Jesus understands every one of them. Because the scriptures say that he was tempted in every way. And yet, Hebrews 4.15 tells us that he was without sin. If you're here today, you're watching today, by the way, and you're you're not a Christian. That that is an important truth that you need to know. You face temptation every day. You sin, and if you don't know Christ as your Savior, there is a judgment that is coming. And yet Jesus came to rescue you from that judgment. 
by you repenting of your sin and placing your faith in his finished work in the gospel. The Bible says that if you call upon his name today, you will be saved. Call upon his name today. But if you're sitting here or you're, you're watching from home and you're listening, this truth that Jesus was tempted in every way and yet was without sin and that he is our righteousness, that is so important to you when you do sin. Because when I sin and when you sin, Jesus doesn't stand over us in condemnation. He moves towards us in mercy and in grace. Because through the work of both his natures, divine and human, he was the perfect sacrifice for those sins that we commit. See, this two-nature doctrine of the person of Jesus Christ, it's not just some abstract reality. It is a truth that is meant to function in our lives each and every day with all that we face so that we will walk through life happy in Jesus. This two-nature doctrine, this theological point about the two-nature doctrine of Jesus Christ is, is also important because... It is the means by which God the Father effected salvation for his people. The Son of God, in obedience to his Father, and through both of his natures, human and divine, only he could accomplish salvation for sinners like you and me. So how do you and I know Jesus Christ this morning? We know him as the Son of God incarnate, fully God and fully man, and the only one who is able to be our all-sufficient Savior, which is why we write it this way in our statement of faith. As God's incarnate Son, our Lord Jesus Christ inaugurated the kingdom of God, fulfilling God's saving purposes and all Old Testament prophecies about the one to come. He is, Jesus is, the seed of the woman. He is the son of Abraham, the prophet like Moses, the priest in the order of Melchizedek, the son of David, the suffering servant, and God's appointed Messiah. See, brothers and sisters, there are sections of this statement of faith. They just preach. And so read this, sec read this statement of faith and allow these truths to preach to you in a way that your joy in Jesus Christ grows and grows. Now, we must theologically understand the person of Jesus Christ rightly to understand his redemptive work in the gospel rightly. John Stott says this, if the essence of the atonement is substitution, the theological inference is that it is impossible to hold to the historic doctrine of the cross without holding the historic doctrine of Jesus Christ as the one and only God, man, and mediator. The person and work of Jesus Christ belong together. If he was not who the apostles said he was, then he could not have accomplished what they say he did. The incarnation is indispensable from the atonement. 
So we are a people, we are a family of churches who believe that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man and therefore only he could accomplish what God the Father sent him to do, which leads to my next point. Second reason why Christology is foundational, number two, Christology is foundational to understand the work of Jesus Christ. Now our text clearly speaks to that work. Second half of verse 3. After after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The one who upholds the universe by the word of his power is the same one who humbles himself, becoming like a man to serve as our mediator, dying a substitutionary death on the cross in our place for our sins and by so doing, making purification for our sins. You see, Jesus, he humbled himself both in life and in death, and both were substitutionary in nature. And acting through both his human and divine natures, only Jesus, who was tempted in every way, and as Hebrews 4 tells us, yet was without sin, only Jesus then is the only one who could offer a perfect sacrifice on the cross, in my place, in your place, making purification, not just for some of our sins, making purification for all of our sins. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah, he, he pointed to the cross. He pointed to that sacrifice in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. He, meaning Jesus, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. See, Scripture teaches the penal substitutionary nature of the, of the atonement. That word penal, it means penalty. It means punishment. So penal substitution, it means that someone takes your punishment for you. Earlier this year, you might remember in the spring, there was a military coup in the nation of Miramar. The military took over and citizens there began to protest this military takeover. And the the pictures and the images that came back from Miramar began to fill our screens here in the States and I, I don't think I'll ever forget a, the picture I saw. It's one of a group of protesters that are protesting against the military coup that's happened in Miramar. They're gathered together. On the other side of them are the soldiers from Miramar with their rifles aimed, seemingly ready to fire into the crowd. And what, what happens is a nun comes walking into the middle, right between them, between the protesters and the soldiers. She gets down on her knees facing the soldiers. 
She stretches her arms out and she simply says this, kill me instead. It's a powerful picture that gives us a a bit of a glimpse of what happened on the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus, he laid down on that cross and he stretched out his arms and he looked at his father and he said, kill me instead. He looked at his father and he said to, the, to his father, the punishment that is theirs because of their many sins, give me that punishment instead. He looks at his father and, and he says that the righteous wrath that is theirs, rightly theirs for their many transgressions, poured, on, poured out upon me, poured all out upon me instead. See, the penal substitutionary nature of the, the atonement, it is the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because critics have attacked it for centuries, it is one that we must fiercely defend. Which is why we have included it in our statement of faith and we seek to protect our churches with it. This is what we write about it in our statement of faith. In his substitutionary death on behalf of his people, Christ offered himself by the Spirit as a perfect sacrifice which satisfied the demands of God's law by paying the full penalty for for their sins. On the cross, Christ, he bore our sins. He took our punishment. He propitiated God's wrath against us. What that means is in our place, he appeased God's wrath on our behalf so that we will never experience it. He vindicated God's righteousness and by so doing, we are imputed with the righteousness of Christ. And so if you're here this morning or you're watching this morning and you know Jesus your Savior, you are robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and purchased our redemption in order that we might be reconciled to God. Again, brothers and sisters, there are places in this statement of faith that just preach. One of the things that we have talked about in our family of churches for a long time, because of the influence of Jerry Bridges, who I believe originally coined this phase, he says, Christian, preach the gospel to yourself each and every day. We need that because we forget. We need that to have joy in Christ. Use this statement of faith. Use that section I just read to preach the gospel to yourself and allow your soul to be happy in Christ. See, Lakeview Christian Center, you are a people who believes the cry that Jesus cried from the cross. You believe this. He cried, it is finished. You believe that, don't you? And when God the Father raised him from the dead three days later, vindicating Jesus' identity as his saving work as the Messiah, we believe that the Father in that moment was pleased to accept Jesus' sacrifice as a complete, not partial, complete sacrifice for sin. We believe that no other sacrifice is needed. 
We believe that there is no good work that we can do that can be added to what Christ accomplished for us in the cross because his atoning work is entirely efficacious, which is a gift we receive from God through faith and repentance. We believe on that day when Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, he looked at his father and he said, job done. The work of redemption, the work of salvation is done. This is why the primary passion and driving influence in your church and in our family of churches is the gospel of Jesus Christ because he paid it all. Our sin that left a crimson stain, he washed it. He washed it all away white as snow. Now, I would guess that most of you hearing this, whether here or via live stream, you, you know that truth already. So here's the question. How does Christology, how does it shape how we live? Which leads to my third and final reason why Christology is important. Christology is foundational to live for Christ. To live for Christ means this. To live for Christ means that we are going to be a people who stay centered on Christ because of this. His work continues now as our prophet and priest and king. As our great high priest, Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says that Jesus now lives to make intercession for us. What that means is he's constantly pleading on our behalf before the Father. Dane Ortland, he, he captures it this way. Christ's intersec- intercession reflects how profoundly personal our rescue is. That means this. Jesus died for you. He rescued you. And he is your great high priest. And you know what he's doing right now? He's praying for you. That's stunning, isn't it? Jesus, he, he pours out his spirit upon our, in our lives and he empowers us to have victory over sin and Satan and, and empowers us to do the good works that he has prepared for us. And when we do sin, and we will, 1 John chapter 2 says that Christ is our advocate, that he's standing by our side, constantly advocating our cause before the Father. As, as the Puritan John Bunyan says, Satan must be speechless after a plea from our advocate. That's good news to hear, isn't it? When we are prone to wander, you and I, we are held fast because Jesus, he is the sure and steadfast anchor of our souls. When we are perplexed, not understanding what God is doing in our life or maybe in our nation or even in our world. We are people that are not driven to despair because we know we have a king who sovereignly rules not only over our lives, but over this nation and over the entire world. When we are rejected and marginalized because we are Christians in our communities or workplace, we are people who are not forsaken because we know that nothing will separate us from the love that is ours in Christ Jesus. 
When we are sorrowful, when we are going through sadness and suffering and loss because of trials, we are people who are yet always rejoicing. Because we have a great high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses and he even bears our sorrows with us. The point is this, brothers and sisters, to live for Christ means that we are a people who stay centered on Jesus Christ. Let me just end with this. The world that we live in right now defines itself by what it's against, right? But we want to be a people who define ourselves and want to be known for what we're for. What are you for as a Christian? What what do you want to be for, Lakeview Christian community? What, What do we want to be known for in our small family of churches known as Sovereign Grace? Here's, here's what we want to be known for. The supremacy of Christ in all of life. That's what we want to be known for. We are for Jesus being exalted in our homes, in our relationships, our workplaces, and in our communities. We want to be people who are seeking the glory of the Lord and not our own fame in all that we do. By God's grace, we want to pursue an abiding joy in Christ, an overflowing gratitude for Christ, a growing obedience to Christ, and a sacrificial generosity motivated by the example of Christ, which are all tangible expressions that we are for this. We are people who live for Christ. Why do we want to be known for this? It's quite simple. Because Jesus, he paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin that had left a crimson stain in our lives, he washed it. He washed it all away, white as snow. Oh, brothers and sisters, let's praise the one who paid our debt, amen? And raised our lives up from the dead, amen. Let's pray. Lord, we, before we sing, and we are eager to sing, we pray that you would help us to be people who stay centered on Christ. I pray that for this church. I pray that for Sovereign Grace churches. May, May our passion be the gospel of Jesus Christ working in our lives and proclaiming it to others so that that Christ would receive all the glory in every aspect of our lives. And I pray this, I I just pray that you would continue to deepen our joy in Christ. As we leave here today, may we be happy people in him, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together, join our voices and sing. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength into His form. Child of weakness, watch and find in me Thine own. Jesus painted it all, all to Him I and stay he lost in white as 
Thank you for once again reminding us of what Christ has done on our behalf. We stand before you forgiven, purified, Lord, our sins purged from us, Lord, transformed into your children, members of your family, wearing that beautiful white robe of Christ's righteousness. Be praised and glorified this morning and this day, O oh Lord. May we live in light of the reality of Christ our Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen and amen. It's a joy to be with you this morning. Friends, those watching on live stream, hope to see you guys soon. Have a good day.